Hello, welcome back to Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Dr. Stephen Bradley, your host, joined today by Dr. Bernice Focum, better known as being Dr. Bernice on Instagram, Twitter, and even YouTube. She's an emergency medicine physician currently in Chicago. And Bernice, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It is such an honor to be here. It's been a long time coming. You are incredibly impressive as every guest I have on the show. Like as I, as I read about you all, I'm like, oh my God, you did this and you did that. So you, you did undergrad at Princeton. Yes. And you went to Emory for medical school. Mm-hmm. And then you went to Harvard for a master's of public policy. Yes. And then the University of Chicago for residency. Yes. And currently and- doing an emergency. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and here for fellowship. And here for fellowship. Fantastic. I got got everything uh, straightened out. So can you take us with you on your journey to becoming a physician? Like, how old were you? When did you decide that this was the path for you? Yeah, I was the person that was really trying to fight against being a physician. I know, like, I have some friends that, like, they were seven years old. They knew they wanted to be a doctor. (laughs) That's, like, all they've known. Yeah. I instead was so committed to not being a doctor. Like I just was like, I don't know. I just, I knew it was a long pathway. I knew it was expensive and it was stressful. I did. I really did like health as a concept. And so there was a period of time that I was thinking public health or something of that sort, but I was, I don't know, for some reason, I think just the concept of of becoming a doctor was a bit intimidating for me. The process of getting accepted to medical school and then going through the training pathway and then also just the responsibility of, of, you know, like literally having lives in your hands. But what ended up happening was that I actually fell in love with the concept of just like social justice first. And that was like, if we take it really, really back, we're going back, back, back now. But like science fair in middle school, I did a project on obesity patterns between, you know, like well-resourced kind of like inner city private schools versus less resourced public schools. And that was kind of the first time I learned about the concept of social determinants of health. But at the time, I didn't have the language of social determinants of health. Then as I went on, I I kind of learned different things. I just like, as, as you know, our public health, or I'm sorry, our public school system doesn't always do the best at teaching us about, you know, the civil rights movement and all of the types of things that have kind of created the reality of today in terms of just like stratifications that we see in society in terms of you know, socioeconomic status, race, so many things. And so as I started to learn about those things, I became very, very interested in just like, how can I insert myself in basically counteracting all of the intense structural racism? Again, I didn't have the language at that time, but I now know what I was interested in countering was structural racism, systemic level racism and inequities. And so there's so many ways you can do that, right? Like there's people who are teachers that are amazing activists and advocates. There are people who work in the criminal justice system. There are people who work in in urban revitalization. Like there's so many ways. And so I was trying to figure out where I wanted to fit in. And then I realized that health was very interesting because I liked, and I don't know if it was like a theoretical thing, but I really liked the the fact that when you're affecting someone's health, health, you're literally affecting their physical, like their little physical manifestation of them. Like if somebody is physically well, they're able to 
go forth and do so many other things in life, you know, be the the family member that they want to be, be the professional that they want to be, just they're able to kind of be in society and show up in society. And so it felt like a very tangible way of making a difference, but I still, again, was fighting against this pathway that as you were mentioned, <laughs> I've gone to like, I don't know how many schools at this point I am on this, I'm on this pathway. But then I met some people. I did a summer program whenever I was in college at the University of Pennsylvania. And it was like a, it was met for underrepresented minorities who were, you know, just like interested in doing, I think there, that program was more geared towards like health economics and research and that sort of thing. And so I did that program. And then it was there that I started to meet physicians that did other things. Like I met physicians that did research and it sounds funny to me now, but at the time, the only doctors I really knew, because I didn't really have doctors in my immediate family, the only doctors I knew were like my primary care physician. And, and obviously, you know, she, she was doing amazing work, but I knew that what she did was like, she did clinic and then she like went home, um, which is like a totally fine life. It's just like, that was my kind of like my only vision of how you could counter medicine. But then when I did the summer program, I met people that were physicians, but then they were also doing all this like amazing activist work or, they were doing policy or they were doing like, there was just something else that was also additive to their clinical practice. And they were people that were using their clinical practice to augment some of the systemic level things that they were trying to do. And so I feel like once I realized that that was an option, I was like, I gotta, I gotta look into it. You know, like, let me not just like completely nice. block off the possibility. Yeah, yeah. And so at that point, I was like, okay, maybe let me start taking these pre-med classes and look into, <laughs> you know, if this physician thing is for me. And I also wanted to make sure that I wasn't being led by fear, because I think as I look back, a big part of it was like really fear. I, I knew people that were trying to get into med school and couldn't get in. And I like... Scary. It's, it's scary. It's intimidating. And I, like anyone else, don't love to set myself up for rejection. I don't like pain and struggle, which is a lot of studying, all of hard studying, nights, you know, like dead, like all this stuff. And I knew that that was like all part of the medical pathway. But I think I had to do a lot of reflection. And I realized that I really do enjoy the bedside. And I and I felt like as much as I wanted to do the kind of like systemic level stuff and and obviously still am doing, I didn't want to lose the capacity to talk to patients, really meet people on an individual basis and understand where they were coming from. And, and so that's why I decided I was like, let me, let me still do the medicine pathway, but then let me, as I'm going through that, still look at ways that I can, can merge that with my interests to do anti-racism you know, systemic level equity work. That is fascinating. I think it encompasses so many things and there's so many different pathways to medicine mm-hmm. and people are inspired to do so many different things. Oh. The purpose of this podcast is to provide the kind of that experience that you had at that program that shows you, yes, you can be a physician that works a nine to five or goes to clinic or operates mm-hmm. and you can also do so many more things and impact so many people in so many different ways. So that, that is awesome. You had the experience that really changed the trajectory of your life. Mm-hmm. So did that drive you to pursue the master's of public policy? 
It did. I didn't know that that's how that all was going to manifest. I think life is one of these things that kind of, you know, takes you on a bit of a journey. I was pretty sure that I was going to take a year off in the middle of medical school to do something for a few reasons. And there's obviously like, there's so many different pathways, like for people who are interested in medicine and like maybe interested in doing some of these things, there are some people that if they decide that they want to do an additional master's or do research or something like that, some people will do that after they finish residency. Some people will do that, you know, before they start medical school, there's a lot of different ways. I took a gap year before I started medical school and I worked in um, early childhood mental health and was working Hmm. with clinical child psychologists, primarily in Medicaid clinics in New York City. And so with that, I, I, again, was still kind of getting my, I think, exposure in the ways that so many historical injustices literally manifest in communities. And so I was working with, you know, patients that were very, very poor living on just paltry, paltry incomes for the, the cost of living. And then they had children who did not have any access to adequate care. And so we were trying to catch them when they were like getting their like physicals or something like that and identifying people who had, you know, speech delays, developmental delays, trauma. A lot of them had had siblings that had been incarcerated parents that had been incarcerated or were um, children of, you know, people who had gone through really, really traumatic immigration processes, that sort of thing. And, and it was affecting their development. So I worked in that. And I feel like that kind of opened my eyes into some of the ways that we could make impacts in, in the communities that I really wanted to show up for while I was going through medical school at Emory. So we had the um, privilege of working at Grady Memorial Hospital, which is one of the largest safety net hospitals serving in in a huge, huge catchment area for the Southeast. And so there were people that would drive hours and hours to come to get the specialty services that they needed. And so I, again, had, I was very fortunate to, to be able to learn in that environment because it was with patients, again, another, you know, very vulnerable patient population, very resilient patient population. And I got to learn a lot of about the nuances of caring for that community when I was in medical school. And I feel like I just kept seeing, I just kept seeing things. Like I was like, I, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that I'm getting the skill set to be able to treat people a lot of it feels very reactive. It feels like I'm reacting to issues. It feels like I'm, you know, responding to things that are already happening. But why, why is this happening? You know, like, why am I seeing women come in with like extremely delayed diagnoses of these like crazy invasive cancers? Like, why is it that I'm seeing people that are in their thirties, early thirties already on dialysis from uncontrolled yeah. high blood pressure. Like why am I in, in America yeah. of all places, right? You know, <laughs> like in, in a highly resourced country that we live in, but it's obviously not the same reality for everybody. And so I feel like those things, those things continue to, to kind of, you know, open my eyes and, and really affect me. And then on top of that, the medical school course load, as you know, very well is just, it felt like everything was like a grind. Like you're just like, you're just getting through to the next test. Then the next test, then the next test. Like I, I, everybody had told me med school was gonna be hard, but I don't think until you do it that you like really understand like how arduous that thing is from start to finish. Like 
Yeah. Even after I finished step one, I was like, phew, okay, that's done. Like, I'm good. And then somebody got your like, score. Yeah. I was like, okay, so like, you know, I did that. I'm past it. I did the preclinical. So like, I'm good. Now I'm about to just do my clinicals and just make it through. And they were like, oh, you didn't know you had shelf exams? They were like, <laughs> you didn't know that every single, like every four to eight weeks, you're going to have another very long four to eight hour test plus, plus OSCE plus everything that you're going to have to also yeah. be studying for. Plus you're going to be going to the hospital and learning how to talk to people. Plus you're going to be seeing all these traumatic things and not really have any time to, to face it. Plus you need to be on and performing for everyone. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot. And you know, we could, we could talk for a long time about the medical training pathway and you know, some of it is absolutely necessary. Some of it is, is very, very <laughs> unnecessarily made more difficult, but I feel like I was on that grind, on that grind, seeing things, but I'm the type of person that really likes to be solution-minded. So I'm like, okay, guys, like, what do you guys think about this? Like, what are we going to do about the stuff we're seeing? And then like, understandably, everybody's tired. Like, people are just like, you know what? Yeah, it's messed up. This is terrible. I got to go study. <laughs> they don't test. They don't test that stuff. No, like you're just trying to make it. And it's, and it's like, absolutely, we have to get the clinical skills down. But I knew that for me, especially as somebody who kind of, found medicine as a, as a means to affect social justice. Like that, it was, it's, I see medicine as a vehicle to be an activist, to be an advocate. I was like, I don't want to, to have to keep just like, like acting like I don't see what's happening right now, you know? Yeah. So I knew I had a pretty good feeling that I was going to want to do something in the middle of med school to kind of break up the grind of that, give my mind a second to reflect on what I was seeing in my journey to becoming a doctor and then try to figure out the ways that I was going to respond to them. And so then I did that. I met with like a lot of different mentors. I was I'm choosing between master's in public health, which is probably the more common pathway to do. Then I learned about this master's in public policy program, which a couple of my mentors had done, people who are still really important mentors to me today. And it was just really interesting to me. It's, it's, I think the big difference is that it's not, it's public policy more generally. So it's not just focused on health. So in my classroom at any given time, I had people that were working in criminal justice, people that were working in urban revitalization. I had people who were working in education policy, people that were working on climate policy. And as you can hear with every single one of those things, they all impact health. And so I think for me, it ended up being a really rich experience because, and this is not to down MPH programs. I think I would have had a great experience in that as well. But what I've heard from some of my friends who did it is it sometimes feels a little bit like an echo chamber because it's like everybody kind of has the same purview of having, you know, or especially the MD MPH programs, I should say. A lot of them end up cohorting MDs together. You're in a room with a lot of people who are clinicians. You guys kind of all have the same purview. Versus me, I was like one voice in the room. So somebody would be talking about, well, you have to think about like the ways that this is going to affect environmental consequences and this, this, this. And I don't, that's not my expertise, you know, or at least at the time, I've now done a lot more reading on that as as a result of the things I learned from my classmates or like somebody who's been working in criminal justice or there were people who were lawyers, like in law school, there were people who were like diplomats, like there were so many different types of people in the room. 
there are people from all over the world that were in the program and they were going to, they came with their vantage point. And then I was very fortunate because people were extremely interested in my vantage point. Like every time I spoke, people would just be in awe. They were like, <laughs> like, first of all, I just thought it was so funny because people are, are just in awe of you being a doctor when you're in a room of, of non-doctors. So they'd be like, what? Right. Like, you have patients. And they said, what? And da, da, da. But like, I would bring that vantage point And I, I feel like I brought a lot to the classroom because of my clinical experience. And then the people around me brought so much to my worldview as well. It was, yeah, it was like an amazing program. They, and then, you know, I, because it was like one of the most preeminent programs they were, I met, like I would have lunch with like Valerie Jarrett because they would like would have a lunch for students. So wow. like a, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez like came as because they like brought all of the like congressional leaders to like come to campus Jeez. and listen to Brian Stevenson speak, who was also there. And then like I helped organize the Black Policy Conference, which we brought like policy leaders from all over literally the world and especially the nation to come and like talk about policy issues that were specifically affecting the black community. And so being able to organize with all of those like-minded people was amazing. Like there were so many ways that I feel like it was a really enriching experience so that when I went back to then finish med school and then start residency, I was, I was reset. I was refreshed from the constant grind I had just come off of. And I was just excited about the work I was doing because I realized like how, the systemic impacts of the interpersonal kind of conversations I was having with people, how important that was. Yeah, that definitely set you up nicely for your residency training on the South side of Chicago. But I am curious, while we're talking about the MPP, Mm -hmm. can you break down kind of how long do these programs take to complete? I'm sure they they vary depending on the the institution and kind of what are the things or, or types of classes that you had during this program? Yeah. So the pathway I took, so when I'm doing it at the Harvard Kennedy School specifically, if you're coming from a med med school outside, it's a three semester program. So I was there. I, and then I was also very fortunate because Emory has kind of a, a shortened curricular program where we then get five months to do research or to use it towards another degree. So it, it ended up perfectly because then I only added one year to my training because I used the five nice. research months as my third semester, plus I added a year um, to my training. So after I finished my third year of medical school, then I, moved, I it was a bit chaotic because I moved from Atlanta to Boston or to Cambridge, <laughs> and then was there. And then I finished in December of my well, December in the middle of my fourth year. And then I went and finished my last semester in Atlanta. Well, I would have finished it if the COVID-19 pandemic did not then force us to all, I went back to my parents' house and it was, it was chaotic, but literally one of the best times of my life. Like I had the best experience there. So there's a core curriculum that you kind of are in a cohort that you take. So I took things like, you know, kind of like the basics, like statistics, economics, but then, and then like some different like leadership classes. But I feel like some of the really amazing stuff I took were negotiations classes, like the science and art of negotiation, which is obviously really important on just like getting things done. Um, exercising authority was like an absolutely amazing class that I took. That was, it was like a very meta, it's the high fits leadership model for people who are like very into like nerding into like leadership science and stuff. But like the classroom ends up becoming like an experiment in and of itself where like different 
modes of challenging authority structures are happening in the classroom. And I actually like think about that classroom a lot. Anytime I'm even like calling consults in the ED and I'm I'm dealing with like different dynamics and personalities. I'm like thinking about like, okay, well, who, whose authority is this person responding to? And like, how, and where do I stand in my authority structure and how can I kind of navigate? Hmm. So there's that. I took behavioral economics. I took some classes like at other schools too. So I went to the law school and I took behavioral economics, which was like by Cass Sunstein, who's like one of the like leading like behavioral economists, like just talking about how do you change people's behavior? What are, what's the science behind changing behavior of human beings and how do you approach it? And there are so many ways that behavioral economics impact healthcare. There's like things like opt-out testing versus opt-in testing and, you know, different signage. And there's so many different things. So behavioral economics, I took health and regulatory policy, the politics of healthcare. Then I went to the business school and I took a class on delivering value-based care, which was a super fascinating experience as a physician working in that room, because as you know, business MBAs run a lot of healthcare. And so there were a lot of people in that room that work for pharmaceutical companies or like work in the C-suites of hospitals, but are not doctors themselves. And the way they think of healthcare is very profit-based. It's, it's like, it's, it's just point blank period. How are we balancing the books? How are we maximizing profits? And then obviously I'm coming in with the, well, we got to think about how that's going to impact the patients and they're like, we have to keep the lights on. And so hmm. I think having the, the dynamic in that classroom with other people was just like, okay, well, like this, this is who, this is who I'm going to need to learn how to speak with. <laughs> you know, if I'm yeah. advocating and I'm like, my, my patients are poor, but they deserve this. And they're like, we have to keep the lights on. I need to be able to engage in that very tough sometimes emotionally charged conversation. And so that was really, really enlightening. I also did amazing other things outside of the classroom. Like I had the opportunity to work because there was a fellowship. So I worked on the transition team for the governor, J.B. Pritzker, when he was like starting his, his wow. um, like transitioning into government, they um, brought on fellows like from, from the grad school. So people went to different states and were deployed on transition teams, which was like an amazing experience. I went on a trek to Palestine there was like students. Jeez. Yeah. I should. And that was like an amazing experience. Yeah. You like, should write a book. Is that what you're going to say? You should write a book. Oh, no. You should. I was going to say, I should say that <laughs> I, there are a lot of different ways you can take these types of masters. And some people were like, listen, I need a break from med school. Um, Cause I, I formed really close bonds with the other like MD students. There was like a small, but mighty cohort of us. And some people were like, I just need a break from med school. I'm going to kind of chill. I'm going to do my homework, but I'm going to like, you know, reflect, relax. Me, I was like, if I'm coming here, I'm doing everything. Like anything that is available to me, I am doing it. Just quick shout out. If people like YouTube videos, I have like a couple vlogs. I didn't end up like vlogging like as much as I would have liked to, but I have a couple vlogs of like what the types of different things that I did and how I decided to, you know, do the masters. But I am, I feel like in every phase of my life, I always want to take advantage of every opportunity that is there. So I was like, I know that this is a very finite amount of time that I'm going to be here to take advantage and be surrounded by people and learn and do all these things. And so I'm pretty happy with, with the way that I navigated the, the, the opportunity to, to be in that space. That is incredible. It sounds like such an, an enriching, rewarding experience. And it reminds me, you know, as you're going through your process from medical school, from residency and on, we approach things, we're all on our different paths, right? So some people are like, I just want to 
you know, I, I was delayed going to medical school and I'm behind my peers or I went straight through it. And, and we, it's easy to look at the grass as being greener, greener on the other side, but in reality, it's, it's the benefit of having a diverse group of classmates in medical school or in residency, which mm-hmm. are bringing everything they learn from an MPP or an MPH or a career as a firefighter or whatever that is. And, and we have the opportunity to learn together. So it's no, no need to feel less than just take advantage and leverage the fact that you have a diverse cohort of people that you can learn from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have greatly enjoyed learning about this MPP and Bernice's uh, process and progress into uh, residency. Uh, we're going to take a break and then join us next week for another episode. We're going to learn about why she chose emergency medicine and her experience in the South side of Chicago, and even more about this EMS fellowship that she's currently doing. So tune in next week to black doctors podcast because representation matters. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Fokum. I had the uh, pleasure of working with her during my IC fellowship and she's such an amazing individual and I know her story is going to inspire everyone that listens to it and, and including yourself since you just finished listening to the episode. I'm Steven, host of the podcast. Sorry, this episode is a little late. I usually try to get these episodes up by Sunday night. So they're available for download Monday morning. Sorry if you were eagerly awaiting this next installment, but I it's been a long couple of weeks. I started at my job about three months ago and I actually took an entire month of vacation. So out of those 30 days, I spent, I think, 20 days out of the country. First went to Greece for a wedding with my wife and then came back for a couple of days, went to Houston for a wedding of a good friend from residency and fellowship, James. Uh, he got married down in Houston. Him and his amazing wife was able to be a part of a traditional Nigerian wedding and then also took my critical care boards. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Waiting to hear back in a couple of weeks. After the critical care boards, I went to the second part of the uh, my, of my buddy's wedding. They had kind of a two-night thing. The first one was a traditional Nigerian wedding, and then the second night was kind of more American wedding, if you will. And then Sunday, I flew out to Hawaii. My friend, uh, Dr. Jamie Rutland, is a pulmonologist, ICU doc, and he was giving the keynote speech at the chess conference. So I was able to get out there. You know, the chess conference is mostly for, I guess, pulmonologists, a lot of uh, palm quick care folks. And then I was there. And, you know, there, there, some of it was pretty relevant, you know, the ICU stuff. So it was cool to see and hear him talk. He gave an incredible presentation. If you can find that online, it's definitely worth listening to, talking about diversity in medicine. And he approached it from a very different perspective than you usually hear. Spent the next couple of days in Hawaii. Uh, I'd been there a couple of times before. My brother was uh, stationed there, so I've been out and visited him a couple of times. And I have some friends that live out there, so I was able to hang out with them. Actually, have some uh, downtime and rest and recharge. And then I flew from Hawaii to San Francisco. The American Society of Anesthesiologists Conference was uh, this past weekend in San Francisco, actually going on through Tuesday. So I was able to go there, see a bunch of friends from anesthesia residency from University of Chicago. A lot of the attendings and folks that I trained under learned so much from over the last year. So that was uh, an awesome 
kind of cap to all the things. I also spend time with my new coworkers. A bunch of us had come out from my current uh, facility to attend the conference. So that was uh, super cool. And then I flew home. So um, <laughs> I just, just jet lagged and exhausted. And I'm just now finishing up editing this incredible episode with Dr. Bernice. So thanks for hanging out. Thanks for rocking with the show. You know, it's tough these days. There's so much going on in the Middle East. Anywhere you turn, you're seeing just horrible, horrible pictures and videos and sounds of just devastation and and people hurting and people being killed and people dying. And it is uh, terrible to see every day um, and, and feel so helpless, feel so far away. The things that I have done to cope uh, was just reading, learning as much as I can about what's going on overseas and that history, the background for how we got to, to where we are today. And, you know, donating to organizations that are out there saving lives and helping people and supporting people and supporting the infrastructures. Um, the other thing I'd add is just to, in this state that's so emotionally charged, it's so divisive, just to show additional grace and humility in the conversations that you have you don't know people's backgrounds that you're talking to. And it is a, a, an incredible opportunity to offend people, to to compound the hurt and the suffering that they're already going to when you start um, talking or, or sharing your opinions on the issues. You know, a lot of us didn't have much of an opinion prior to the last uh, couple of weeks. So just try to show grace and humility and understanding. Be careful, but have these open dialogues and conversations with people that may or may not believe the same things that you do. So that's um, what I've been trying to do and how I've been getting through. I know last week we had a fantastic episode of the podcast on anxiety with uh, Dr. Bianca Bush, the college psychiatrist, Dr. Nate Jones, co-host for the show. So definitely go out and, and and listen to that episode. I'll have some tips for at least uh, coping with anxiety. And we'll definitely look forward to having Dr. Bush back on the show and talk about other issues that people are likely dealing with as a result of the things that we're seeing and hearing. So um, hearts heavy. It's, it's tough to, you know, go from a meme on Instagram and then some of these uh, pictures and videos but it's not nearly as tough as the folks that are going through this on the ground. So thoughts, prayers, support in any way possible. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, tune in next week for the second half of this episode. We're going to dive into um, kind of the Bernice's experience as an emergency medicine physician and her experience as an EMS fellow. What does that mean? What does it entail? It's pretty cool fellowship. And you don't want to miss that. Also, shout out to Dr. Bianca Bush and the college psychiatrist. She's been uh, running her business for a year now, providing this tailored, specific care to students in college that just need an extra little bit of love and support. So if you know anybody like that, definitely uh, send 
them her way. I know she has uh, created a whole bundle or a kit for folks to use as they are adjusting and adapting to this new environment or maybe just adapting to the same old environment, you know, with the constant stress of exams and interpersonal relationships and whatnot. So congratulations, Dr. Bush, and to you and your team and uh, hoping uh, the best of success in the future. Thanks for listening to the Black Doctors Podcast. We are here because representation matters.